This episode is brought to you in part by the Second Mission Foundation. Second Mission Foundation is a nonprofit organization that exists to educate, elevate, and advocate for members of America's service community in order to help them find their second mission after government service. Second Mission Foundation was started by and for the members of America's service community. That means members of the armed forces, first responders, security contractors, etc. Second Mission Foundation provides these veterans the opportunity for them to tell their stories, reach their goals, and make their voices heard through educational outreach, entrepreneurship support, and community involvement. For everything you should know about Second Mission Foundation, go to secondmissionfoundation.org. That's Second Mission Foundation, all one word, dot org, secondmissionfoundation.org. Profiles in Havoc is a Havoc Journal podcast. The Havoc Journal seeks to serve as the voice of the veteran community through a focus on current affairs and articles of interest to the public in general and the veteran community in particular. Havoc Journal strives to offer timely, current, and informative content. When you go to Havoc Journal, you will read the most articulate, opinionated, thoughtful, and provocative veteran writers writing about the nation, the world, politics, national security, culture, fitness, movies, the list goes on and on and on. Havoc Journal is always expanding, always striving to improve the reader's experience. If you haven't been there yet, check it out at HavocJournal.com. That's Havoc with a K, Journal.com, HavocJournal.com. Cat Furrow is a Navy veteran and an artist, and that doesn't begin to sum up what an incredible life story she has, how it's affected her military career, how it's affected her artwork. Um, you know, it's weird. When I found her, you know, kind of as I was trolling through Instagram and I saw her artwork, um, you know, it seemed kind of light and whimsical, and I didn't know what was behind it. And I had no fucking idea the kind of conversation I was gearing up for. Um, this one was incredible conversation with a woman that's lived through so much and has not just persevered, but has come out the other side, even relatively recently, through um, really an exceptional artistic ability and it's interesting you know we've talked about this before on the show how art is often the second order effect of a traumatic life or a life of service or the warrior path or whatever um, but it's not separate it's not a gear shift it's not a um it's not a different identity it's a natural evolution and Kat, I think, exemplifies that. This was, um, yeah, we're a cup. This is a, this is a wild episode. Um, I'm Christopher Paul Meyer, and this is Cat Furrow's Profile in Havoc. Go for it. Will you do me a favor? Yeah. Send me some of the video. And what I will do is I will make them like reels with you and I talking. And I'll talk about us with it flashing in the back. That's like cheating. 
that's like How cheating. Yeah, that's why I love it. I love it. No, that's great. I mean, that's that's a layup. Are you kidding? Yeah, we could do that. Yeah. I love I it. Take bites. Just great. like yeah. You're you're raising the bar for guests. I'm going to expect all guests to do a little bit of uh, video editing and and social push for it. No, that's fucking awesome. Um, hey, you know we're on air. Let's do it. Oh my god, let's do yeah. this. I'm excited. How are you, Cat? I'm good. I'm, I'm very in- good. We're in your studio right now, right? We are. I did this on purpose for you. Oh, that's so fucking cool. Um, What is your studio? Is this like a dedicated room in your house? Is it a garage? What is it? What is the actual studio? I am blessed with a dedicated room in my house. And um, 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 it's also my gym. So I've got a crossbar. (laughs) and all my straps i could turn it around and show you yeah it's my gym it's my studio yeah does that seem weird sometimes is it like cognitive dissonance like you work out and then you're like oh wait i was just sweating here and now i gotta turn around and paint and like a whole different vibe not at all paint workout and all of it is who i am that's pretty cool so you you treat it holistically it's like a big holistic you space it is my sanity. It is what has saved my life. It is why I'm on the planet. Literally, not figuratively, literally. Well, that doesn't leave us a whole lot of places to go except to just dive into that. I know you talk about art every day. Is this the art every day thing that it, this is what saved your life? Yes. Yes. So I, I have, I have a mantra art every day, dot, dot, dot. It's a mindset. It's not about art supplies. So um, real, you want stories? Sure. Yeah. We might as well do stories. Yeah, sure. Right, right. Once upon a time, <laughs> there was a little girl named Kat that lost her mind for the umpteenth time. Hey, that rhymes. No, um, I, for, for reasons, and we can go there if you want. I had, I taught myself how to do um paint and sip style classes i needed to earn a living and i was about crazy and 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 in the short version i brought that um opportunity to vfws it was where i was comfortable so vfws veterans of foreign war Mm -hmm. organizations Mm -hmm. and american legions and in this space i recognized the people that are cocktail and having a party um, and painting that had come together purposefully for the purpose of having fun were ripping themselves to shreds in the middle of art supplies. They, you know, all they could do when they were looking at the canvas and was criticizing the, the canvas. And I had this epiphany that we are our own canvas and that that's what we do in life is that we go through life and rip the shreds out of ourselves so i went with art every if we think of ourselves as a canvas at art every day throughout our day then you have the opportunity to paint yourself however you choose to paint yourself Mm. right you can Mm -hmm. modify and change and find what's beautiful what find what's crappy and fix it however you want to look at you as art is a way that you are you're going to be in your life, in your space. So if you want to be ugly, you're going to be ugly. That's just what you're going to see. Or if you want to see your history as layers, and I'm doing the short version of it, layers, 
right? That you can remodel and all that kind of stuff and build upon. And that the, the, those layers are your foundation that what brings you to who you are as this good, this awesome human, then that's your choice. And that's your art everyday mindset. And that's just how I go through life. How much do you still see your art as therapeutic, not necessarily for you, but for an audience, because it seems like there is that message that there is, you've had these epiphanies doing your artwork and that's not very separate from the artwork itself. It feels like those are vehicles for you to deliver this kind of message. Am I wrong? No, you're correct. My purpose with art is not about selling a painting. My purpose is not about money. Although I want to sell the paintings, I need to sell the paintings because I'm broke. Right. Uh (laughs) But, but, um, my purpose is to convey a message. I come from a history of trauma prior to the service significant in the service significant. And um, I've almost, I've been miserable. Art helped me to my, my ability with art supplies helped me to communicate with myself when I couldn't communicate with others. And it's helped me to be able to um, channel that kind of energy and my experience to other people to help them to communicate. Art gives me the opportunity through like pretty flowers and pictures to take somebody that wouldn't normally engage in, engage in a conversation about the pitfalls of the American veteran or just people in general, right? And have a conversation and engage them with change. It helps me to um, have a conversation with someone that's in pain and engage them in a different manner and how they can creatively choose to paint themselves in a different space. And that's not saying that they're painting um, a new um, something that's not a reality. They create their own reality then. So you can, and I've done that for myself. Have you noticed um, on your artistic you? journey, have you noticed that your self-talk has changed? how you talk to yourself about yourself? Yes. Yes. I assume for the better. Yes. But I can catch myself in um, nastiness. Huh. Right? So this is December 12th, and I know this because I date my stuff. December 12th, um, 2015. And that kind of darkness is was my art. Yeah. And now my art is more like this. So mm-hmm. the conversation, the graffiti that's in here, I could be having a shitty day and I can come in and write whatever it is. I can have all the dialogue of you suck, you're ugly, you're fat, you're stupid, you haven't accomplished enough in your life. You're this, you're that, you're vile, all the hate that goes on in still in my mind, Mm -hmm. but I can acknowledge it, put it out on a piece of art and then can then shift that conversation into those were who you are. Yes, you're dealing with that right now, but right now I'm going to go forward. It's my choice. It's my definitive choice to shift myself into a new space. And it's my definitive choice to take a creative license with myself and define who I'm going to be. No one else's choice, my choice. When you find that, let's call it just the darker thoughts, express themselves in your art, do you find that purges it from your system that, hey, I put it on the canvas so it doesn't need to stay in my brain anymore? Or 
is it an accurate reflection of where your mind is? And you're just like, hey, this is the period I'm in right now. And I'm just going to kind of sit and marinate in this until I'm done with it. I don't like sitting and marinating. I think marinating is a habit mm-hmm. and it's a, it's a bad habit. Right. I, I, I'll go with I. I won't even talk about the world, but <laughs> I'll go with it because the world has the bad habit. I have had the bad habit of negativity and, and, and gravitating to negative people, negative um, conversation, negative self-talk, just negative. Mm-hmm. And then when I get in that space, I can pull up the blanket is what I call it of self-pity, demoralization and, and all the shame and whatever, and just lay in it. And I'm comfortable there, you know, to actually think I'm worth something of value requires me to one but to actually believe that statement and that in and of itself is a complete different mind fuck because it's a choice and if you choose to make that statement or thought then you're choosing to believe in something and you have to own your actions going forward like i believe in myself therefore i need to get the f- out of this blanket mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and yes. do something different yeah absolutely I can't wallow here. Mm-hmm. Did you know what was the public reaction to your, let's say, darker art versus most of the stuff you're doing now or the stuff I've seen that you've shared? Was it a different reaction? Did it sell as well? Did it sell better? Was it a different customer? What was the experience you had? Most my darkest things people don't see. The I still do have dark art if you go to my website on my website mm-hmm. there is dark art still on there and those people those pieces do sell um the originals sell mm-hmm. people come up they're like wow i want it there's no real hesitation with those pieces and my american flag piece is considered a darker mm-hmm. By a lot of people, Mm. believe it or not. Mm. But my florals in the happy, what I call the happy space, Mm -hmm. it's a different, that's retail to me. That's that's not necessarily people buying, and I probably am really going to offend some people by saying that, aren't I? I I actually have people that say, Katie, I like this happy space you're in. Paint happy. So I'm like, okay. And I can sell those paintings. Yeah. They're harder for me to create. Interesting. What's more satisfying for you to create? The darker, the dark side. Really? Yes. Um, I want to make sure I got an answer to this because I want to be clear in my own mind. You do think, do you think that a lot of those darker pieces do purge it from your system? Do you feel like once you've done it and you put it out on a canvas, you're like, I don't have to go there again. I've got it out there and that captures what I want. Or is it, well, that satisfied that just put it at bay for right now, but these are going to be recurring thoughts. And I'll probably be coming back to that at some point to duke it out on the canvas with the dark thoughts again. What it does for me is that I think artists, it it takes a lot of courage to be an artist, Mm. but it takes a lot of courage to put your art forward in the public. Mm. So I put the darkness forward in the public. So when I put that on canvas, then I am publicly sharing with you 
my pain. Mm -hmm. And I'm publicly then open to the conversation of where I come from. So I'm not hiding it. So when I do, when I put my darkness, it's empowering. Mm. It's powerful that way. Will I go back? I go back in the sense of it, it empowers me to talk to you about the reality of my life and the reality of other people's lives and how we can potentially shift and make a dynamic change. So it is very much a, a block like a, a, you know, for race, like put me in that block and let's go, let's make change. Let's do this. Let me tell you my story so that perhaps you'll have a different mindset. You'll influence the people around you. Or if your life has sucked and been in this space forever, maybe you'll, you'll choose to take a personal action and go forward with change. So will I go back to that to answer your question? Yes. Will I address those things? Yes. When it's, um, I, I haven't had the experience of debilitating art, like where, where I'm broken and painting in a long time. That's interesting. Okay. I don't think we can hold off diving into the story. So let's start at the beginning. Where were you born? <laughs> and I come from my mother's womb. And where was that? Um, I was born in La Puente, California. Yeah, okay. I'm the first born or like out of the, my real father's out of West Texas. My mother's out of the swamp area of Florida. And I was raised in Southern California, Arizona, New Mexico, and a little bit blipping and out of texas and i joined the service out of new mexico and boot camp florida orlando florida i'm old and then came back out here to san diego area i've been in san diego area since 1986 okay so we're gonna we're gonna slow down the timeline a little bit and dive into some of that where did you spend the bulk of your childhood was it mostly in southern california No. Okay. Um, <laughs> timeline to third grade. I was here in Southern California from third grade to I graduated eighth grade in Yuma, Arizona, the armpit of civilization. And I'm sorry for those people. I actually like Yuma. I like the desert. But a lot of people go, Yuma. Oh, my God. Do you even know where Yuma, Arizona is? Mm -hmm. Sure. Do you know where Yuma, Arizona is? You're the okay. East Coast do oh, you? no, no, no. I mean, but I've been all over. Yeah, yeah. Okay. He yeah, and I lived in LA for 10 years. Yeah, no, it, been up yeah. and down 10 all over the place. Um, so it's interesting because to spend that much time in the Southwest and the desert specifically, I don't see a lot of that in your art. Your art seems colorful and not barren and not, you know, I don't know. I look and I wouldn't, I, I'd be surprised. Am I mis missing something? The desert is not barren. I... The desert is not barren, nor is it lacking color. The desert has fabulous color and not barren. And I haven't painted the desert because I haven't lived in it since I started um, this legacy, this leg of painting. Okay. Okay. Um, and then New Mexico. New Mexico, I lived at 2,500 feet, 3,000 feet, Oregon, um, high desert, base of the Oregon Mountains. and People that aren't, people are ignorant that think that 
not you. I'm not saying you're stupid or anything along those lines at all. (laughs) The desert is full of color. It is. If you see it depicted, it's it's depicted in purples, greens and all that. No, no. Listen, the the desert is absolutely full of color. I guess it's more the, um, you know, I I spent a lot of time in the desert, Um, but it it seems to me that there's a lot of. um, There is the deprivation of a desert life that there's not access to, let's say, the amenities, the. uh even like a lot so much of your your painting is lush i wouldn't always say there's a lushness in the desert there's sometimes lushness with the sunsets and with some of the colors but but it's definitely not a lush like in the, the floor i mean you have a whole section just on flora itself um when i was a kid my favorite place to be was in my grandmother's backyard my grandmother's back is you know my secret sacred um, safe haven. It's the only place I was really, um, the safest space for me to be was with my grandmother and she loved roses and gardened my grand, her and my grandfather. So, um, her little yard was an oasis. It literally was a a place where this little fairy got to play and probably the most peaceful, sacred space. And then San Diego, I was a youngster then, and um, in and out of the San Diego Zoo and all that kind of thing as mm-hmm. a child, the flora is a, a significant influence in my happy space. Got you. And I live here now and um, gardening and all of that. Before I painted, um, I found my peace and serenity so to speak or my ability to release in gardening so yeah, okay. i like to dig in the dirt gotcha my family i have a history of families that are our family is farmers and gardeners and that type of thing so that comes natural to having dirt underneath my nails gotcha gotcha okay so as a little girl were you artistic did you dabble yes. in art did you was that your thing um, I was the only, yes. So yes, yes. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, what, looking back now with the benefit of hindsight, what, what did art mean to you growing up? Was it also a safe haven? Was it the way you expressed yourself? Was it your identity? Because it was like, this was the crowd you hang out with in high school. Like what, what role did art play in your life at that age? So art was a secret. And someone, a neighbor, so back to that barren desert, I didn't have a lot growing up at all. And um, um, my world was very cold and hostile. And my art supplies that I had were a gift from a neighbor, random gift from a stranger um, that I hid. Why did you hide it? So they wouldn't be taken away. And okay. so I got to ask what, what's going on with the hostility in the house? Why so in my, that- my, my home was my first war is war zone. So I grew up in a space that was full of hostility and violence. Um, and sadistic behavior pretty much. So, 
um, I just wasn't allowed to have things. And if I, if something, what, if something was gifted or provided, so to speak, um, and I had pleasure from it, it would be taken. So how did you actually do your art then if you're trying to guard your supplies and, you know, make it a secret? Are you like in the bathroom at three in the morning doing something and then hiding it somewhere? Like, how, what does that even so look my, like? In my very, very youth, youth, like, um, I don't even have recollection of art other than in kindergarten and schools and things like that. My art um, would be with my neighbor that I have definitive memory of and then I would hide the, the materials in the house like randomly in the garage um mattress wherever and I would move the supplies I had a little box of um oil crayons and um some pencils that really didn't have much and <laughs> you bring that up that's funny because um 2008 one of my my half sister my came out to um, hang out with me and we hadn't been together in a million years. Mm -hmm. And she asked me randomly if I still um, um, did art. And I didn't realize, didn't remember what she was talking about. And when I had come to live with her, I'll jump, I'll just, you're going to ask the question. But when I came <laughs> to, when I came to live with her a million years later, I was um, like 15 I had that box of art supplies that came with me and that, so I was about 15 years old when I was able to start doodling freely. Okay. Was when you went to live with her, was that the first time you were separated from your parents and not living under that roof, that hostile roof? Um, yeah, I, I've ran away since I was five years old. So, and I finally succeeded when I was, 15 you were trying to run away since you were five years old or you succeeded at running away at five years I, old i've succeeded at 15 i've okay. ran away a plethora of times the first beginning when i was five years old and i got brought back home yeah where would you run to um the first, where do you go when i was five i was running seven blocks away my grandmother lived seven seven Spaces way packed, a little suitcase. Off I went. Was obviously I'm I'm trying to be a little circumspect, but I so answer this. Obviously, you don't have to. You, you don't. Was the hostility directed at you, or was it just the house was hostile? There was a lot of anger, tension. You're just trying to get away from that. So in my it, yeah, all the above. So my biological father was an alcoholic and a rageful alcoholic. Uh, my stepmother was an alcoholic and manipulative and just evil. And then I had significant trauma from uh, both biological and stepbrothers. So a lot of the chaos, just chaos started when I was very young and that chaos escalated over 10 years. So from five to 15, all kinds of things occurred for 10 years in my life. Rape, pillage, plunder. Literally or figuratively? Yes. Oh, dear God. How no, and so, so, it, so it, it, it's not about dear God, right? What is dear God is like, who is sitting in front of you in this conversation? Sure. Well, that's what's awesome. 
you, uh, well, I mean, listen, the resilience and the and the perseverance, and I'm sure the growth that happens from adversity, you know, of course, uh, is you know the made the most important takeaway. That said, shit, that's a nice landmine to dodge if you can, and that that sucks when you're not able to. How many brothers? But, did you so I, I allow the conversation of that landmine for okay. the purpose of my art and for the purpose of talking about the amount of people that live and come from landmark places like that. 100%. Yes. Right. Yes. So, so my success now, which is, you, you know, everybody defines success differently. So my personal success is my ability to live in my world Mm -hmm. and where I come from. Mm-hmm. Now positively forward in in this space of self-worth and self-value that has taken me a half a century to get to. Of course. Of course. Yes. So my voice and sharing and to paint the darkness, even like if you were to this piece that's behind me, um, the foundation of it was done with women in recovery, you know. So for my ability to take my story and my art supplies to people that are in pain mm-hmm. and to help share where I come from to try and inspire them to aspire is is where I like to, to take my story. Yes. And, and that makes perfect sense. And I, I very much agree. Um, you have to kind of have gone down those rabbit holes if you're going to speak that language and be a value to people it's it's um it's not a fun walk always but it's definitely a source of a lot of wisdom and a lot of inspiration and you're providing a light that i think people probably do need that wouldn't know the resilience they have from those experiences um when you moved out at 15 what changed for you in your life because now you're in high school, right? And so this is supposed to be that big transformative time. Were you stabilized then at that point? Did life start to feel a bit more peaceful, a bit more harmonious? Or there's things still spiking? Um, it's a unique space. So I went from control. So my my original parents, father, stepmother, and that was very rigid. And um, rigid, racist, and um, just very isolated in in that space. Then I landed with my mother and stepdad, and, and then it's a whole different happy space. They were just there was no rules, no rules. Went from it's kind of bizarre. So yeah, I landed in happy or what was perceived as happy, and I stayed there for about um. I moved out in my junior junior year, so I was six. I was still I was sixteen at the end of my because I'm young. I was an early start in school, so I was sixteen when I moved out with my parents, and I've been on my own since then. Why did you move out then? Just there was a different form of different form of. Hmm. I just was someone put their hand. They were drunk and uh, put their hands on me in a in a volatile way and i had sworn when i 
made it out um, that I would never allow a person to put their hands on me again. So I went out the door and managed um, to put a roof over my head and finish school and all that type of stuff. How did you manage to put a roof over your head? Did you start working? What were you doing? Yeah, I worked. Um, I worked a couple of jobs and I played ball and did well in school, believe it or not. And yeah. What what ball did you play? I played um, um, volleyball. I was a setter, basketball, um, softball. I was a pitcher, shortstop catcher, um, ran track. Were you a jock? Yes. What what did itch did that scratch that art didn't for you? Uh, the physical competition, the physical physicality of it. Um, I love to win, mm. and I love the drive of it, and I love the strategy of sports. I've always my mind is always engaged in like the ability to see people. And I don't know, it's almost like playing chess when you play basketball or any of those things. The adrenaline. Um, I love the release of energy. Still, still love sports. Mm -hmm. Okay. Still love all of that. What about the teamwork? I love teamwork. Um, but I I like um the camaraderie of sports of teams. Um, um a good coach is marvelous. A bad coach can just go the other way. Sure. Sure. Yeah. yeah. So at 16, where are you living? Or is it your own place that you get? Or are you crashing? My first, my first apartment, I was living with another girl in high school. She, she had just graduated. She had just graduated high school. Um, um, two girls and I, and then my next my next place was another girl in college. I was in Las Cruces, New Mexico. Um, my, I had a, I had a, a coach and a teacher that had helped me when I rent, when I left my mother's house, I call, I went down to the circle K called my coach and uh, asked for help, asked for help. And she helped me get a, a good job and a decent job. And then she helped me um, work out with my high school principal not to attend my last period of class and worked out with my teachers not to attend class, but as long as I turned in the work. I mean, I was on the student body stuff and my grades were really, really good until that year. My grades declined that year, my senior year. So but what was the advantage of missing the last class or not attending the other Getting classes? to work, getting to work. Oh, I see. Where were you working? What was the job you got? Um, I worked for Dr. Tucker. He was a, a dentist in the town. His wife, Mary Tucker, former representative Mary Tucker. I was an admin behind the desk. Wow. Okay. So you're working proper office hours. I worked there and I worked um, fast. I worked for, I'd leave that job and I would go to um, a sandwich shop in between. And then I managed, so that was um, if I wasn't playing ball, which wasn't very often, I was with the dentist and then um, they kept that job for me 
in between um, sports. And then on the weekends I worked and. Did you still have your art supply box, your secret art supply box with you? Yeah. And uh, I had my secret art supply box and I had awards that um, I had won um, before I left. I carried this suitcase. My, my mother, when I landed in her house, cause they, we didn't have much at all. When I landed in her house, I wanted to show her my life. So I show her my crayons. That's what I call them. And, um, my where I'd lettered in junior high and that type of stuff. I had that type of thing to show her my life because she hadn't been around me since I was two. That's what I carried with me. And I still have those things. I don't have that box of art supplies, but I have a lot of what I took with me. Did you, were you doing art while you were now working at 16 years old and still in your days with just busy work? Was there, was that even a passing thought? My art was in my, I had art in high school, so I had the release there. Okay. I had the release. But on your own, on your own, if left to your own devices, you're busy working and trying to put one foot in front of the other. There was no time to do art on your own. Okay. When you graduate from high school or as you're nearing graduation, what did you think you were going to do? What was the plan as far as you were concerned? I didn't have a plan. I didn't, you know, you come from a background like mine, which um, there's not a lot of education at all. And although like now I understand I could have gone to college, but then the concept of going to school, which was right there, I literally lived at the um, University of New Mexico. Um the concept that it was permissible for me to attend school was not even a thought and which was odd in retrospect it's odd to think of since my peers were all attending and i mean some of them have fabulous jobs just odd so were you just thinking hey you've got a good job at a dentist's office you've got your other part-time job this is just what you're going to keep doing until. No, nope. I literally didn't. It was, I was in a very dark space, okay. very dark space. And I knew that I was on the precipice of, I was either going to stay where I was and never come out of that hole. And my darkness would take me to, I just, whatever it took to survive. Or I needed to find a solution. And I'll say the best thing my mother did for me was she asked me to go in my life. She invited me to lunch and literally asked me, what do you plan to do? And asked if I had ever considered the military. Because I hadn't even considered the military as an option. And Las Cruces has the army around it. Sure. And and the Air Force, Alamogordo Air Force Base is out in that area. But I had never considered the military as an at all. I mean, I literally had no plan other than shit, what the hell am I going to do? And I really expected to be dead. Why did you expect to be dead? Because it just was my mindset at the time. No matter, I mean, I just was like, you, you can only go. I don't know. I just was in a very dark space and I don't know how to explain it. Was it, 
was there any self harm that you were doing? Were you over medicating like that kind oh, of yes. thing? Or, okay. Yes. All right. I, I was drinking too much. Um, I sold white crosses and was taking white crosses in order to, to, um, I sold actually to my, the business owners. It ended up being a great safety net for me that, um, the two, the businesses, people associated with them bought that. So, so then I didn't have to sell to. What is that? What's white crosses? I don't it's know a form of speed. Okay. It's a form of speed. So I was using speed at the time to, to stay awake. So I could juggle all the things I was having to juggle. Wow. Okay. So I got you. So this is starting to make sense. So your mom says, as you consider the military and then, when you started to consider the military, what did that entail? Did you just start walking into recruiters' offices and seeing what was up, or did you? Yeah, talk literally. To so we were we were at lunch. I when I make a decision, I make a decision, mm. and I've always been that way. So we were at lunch, and I want to say that I went right then. Oh wow! I really, really want to say, and I went to the Marine Corps for I was raised with guns, um, so I know how to shoot, and I I really wanted to kick some tail, and. I knew that I didn't want to be in the food industry and I knew that I didn't want to be behind a desk. And I walked into the Marine Corps and um, took the tests. Or did I take the test now? Yeah. And my ass, I blew my ass, my ass webs. I did very well, mm -hmm. very, very well. I could have gone into nuclear power had they allowed that then. They didn't allow women at the time to go into nuclear power in the Navy, but the Marine Corps. Um, would only allow me to be the equivalent of, I don't know, like a postal clerk or I don't know. Mm -hmm. I was going to be a desk jockey and I mm -hmm. said, nope. And I walked out of the Marine Corps office and walked to the next door. I knew I didn't want to be in the army. Why? Uh, um, just, it was around, I'd seen the, the, I didn't, I don't know. I could really see the pack on my back in the desert and I mm -hmm. didn't want to be with, with a pack on my back in the desert. And um, I went to the Navy and loved the water. It seemed further away to me, and I really wanted to get away. Mm, okay. And what? how did you like the Navy when uh, the recruiter? The Navy was excited. They, they didn't shun. They didn't, like, scoff when I walked, the little girl walked through the door. They didn't scoff the same way that the Marine Corps did at the time. And they liked my my um, test scores, they're like, you can be anything you want. What would you like to be? And then um, then they told me that the caveat is, is you're a woman. So you can't be anything you want. Right. Um, and um, I ended up becoming a torpedo man. What did you want to do? If, I wanted if not to fly that. I wanted, I wanted in a helicopter. That's what I said. And they're like, cool. And um, my, I took a test. My eyes would not allow me a, the um, color tests. Believe it or not, the color test. I failed the color test. Are you colorblind? Are you defined as colorblind? I, whatever test they had me take, I, I did not pass. That's, I mean, obviously. That bizarre. The, 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 yeah, I mean, you are one of the more if not one of the most colorful artists that i track on a regular basis so that is very ironic um okay so you become a torpedo man uh, yes, yeah. 
What, it, what, yeah. what tell, tell, I don't, I don't speak Navy that well. So tell me like, what does that mean? Are you just loading munitions? Uh, what's the a school like for that? So this is 1985. Okay. There's only six ships open to women at the time. Okay. Um, women are only allowed on ships since 1978. So I, I want to say that out loud because it is not the military we have now. Sure. And, um, um, you have the Mark 46 torpedo, which is a little teeny tiny small thing that's on surface crafts, or you have big giant Mark 48 torpedo that we love and that's on our fast attack submarines. Okay. And I say that because school torpedo men, everybody thought I was a dude. Women, they were just, you know, um, um, integration of women had just started really into the fleet. Sure. And when we first came in, they only allowed us an administrative role. So they had just opened up certain job codes to women, which I got to be one of the first of them, which is a good thing and really created some chaos also. But torpedo men, I, spe- I specialize in the Mark 48. So I assemble. Okay. So somebody's got to put it together. Somebody's okay. got to take it apart. Right. If we're not. So I got to build them. Um, and I ended up specializing in the Tomahawk cruise missile, the alpha variant and warheading. And I serviced the submarine squadrons. So I managed the weaponry for two submarine squadrons, squadron 11, squadron seven out here in San Diego for their, their weapons systems. Okay. So they're marked their I loaded and offloaded their weapons, ran their cranes, put the weapons on, took the weapons off. Did you like it? I loved it. Why? Uh, well, one, I got to play with big toys. Mm. I got to operate the cranes, run my own crews. I love to turn a wrench. Um, it's dynamic. It's outside. Outside is safe space. Um, it's not boring. You're not sitting pushing paper behind a desk. Um, I don't know. It was just a lot of fun. A lot of hard work. What about your teammates? Did you, what was the dynamic? The, camar- the camaraderie of when I first came in, there was only a couple. There was um, really no women, very few women. Um, but I got, I've always got along well. Um, male or female, but predominantly men. And the, the camaraderie is just unique to the service. And, and then I think it's unique to the weapon systems. We are a very tight group of people. So we run our own security. So we ran all of our own small arms. So I did security and small arms. You go with the nuclear variant at the time. You, you really, your security clearance, we ran everything. So we're a very tight group of people. We work together, play together, party together, everything together. How was that um, socially fitting in then as the one woman there and with that tight esprit de corps, partying together, playing together, socializing together, you know, all that stuff. What was the dynamic? What's that like to be the only woman in that kind of situation? Um, sometimes it's good and sometimes it's not good. Okay. So then in 
I can, I'll speak of the highlights, you know, the, sure. the camaraderie is great, but you also have those that don't want you to succeed. So those that don't want you to succeed, that's pretty ugly. I mean, I had a senior chief that pulled a, you know, it, I, being the only woman in a dark space on a large, on a large vessel has its challenges. Yeah. Ugly things happen. Sure. To you. Sure. And whether or not their work, you're working with those people or not. And ugly things do happen and did. Being that you were coming from pretty rough situations at every way stop, it seemed like at life up until that point, did you feel like things were getting better and improving or did you feel like this was more of the same? I felt like it was improving. So one, I got to, um, I went from a space of being told you're stupid to um, figuring out that I wasn't stupid mm. and that I was pretty sharp and I made rank very quickly. I, I, um, I was advanced to th- third class um, selected for early advancement to third class and to first class, which means E4 and E6. Mm-hmm. I made chief, which is E7. Um, and how many, year, how many years did it take you to make Nine. Chief? Nine. Well, nine, between nine and 10. And the average to make chief, if you made it, was 17 years as sure. a torpedo, was a, as a oh. torpedo man, and then less than 5% um, ever achieved the rank of chief. I did very well. And I did very well quickly. And my my upbringing helped me navigate um, I didn't take shit. Uh, How's okay. that? Yeah. I just you you can't threaten someone. You can't intimidate someone that has a background like mine i don't think i'm either gonna ro- well you can you're either gonna roll over or you're not and my choice in life since i left was to not roll over how were you coping mentally did you feel yourself getting stronger mentally um in some cases i did get feels s- stronger i mean it helped me like i got to do great things i I obviously succeeded and did all those. Did I lose you? Nope, there you went. One of the fun nuances of doing the show in a renovated or a soon to be renovated house is that we have alarms that go off at all times for no good reason. And then nice. that just happened. So I had to go turn that off. So sorry, you were saying. So yes, so you that, like you I did. I felt mentally stronger. I felt on top of the world. I felt like I could do anything. I qualified from the fore, the front end of the ship to the aft end of the ship, up and down. I mean, there wasn't anything on that vessel. Right. However, um I crashed. I mentally crashed i i ended up leaving the service um um medically i medically um i did i retired at 14 years wow so my brain shut down 
literally without warning. I started getting to the point. So I'm 27, joined the service at 18. By the time I'm 27, married, couple kids, and um, very successful career, expected now to go places. I was putting in, I had place put in packages to be in a limited duty officer and officer. I had like crazy aspirations and, and really I'd been groomed for it in so many ways. The, those that um, were my champions um, really helped me to succeed. There was two, two types of people. They were either helping me to succeed or they were trying to destroy me. It seemed like there was as a female and eventually my brain, I just crashed. I, I would go, I would get lost coming home from work. I, at that time, we didn't have cell phones. You had pagers and all that type of thing. So all your numbers and data is in my head. With the, working with the alpha variant, everything was in my head. I'm a walking encyclopedia of information. They nicknamed me data. And I literally started just like, like a computer just started losing my hard drive. Did it ever result? In, I mean, did you go to see a doctor? Was there anything medication-wise so do? Yeah. So I worked with um. At that, when it went hard, I was running the armory and security, and I almost hurt somebody. In what way? Um. Just like PTSD is like grabbing to take them out. And I left the ship and the short word, short version is I went and sought, I went and sought help. I knew some, something was just bizarre with me. And I, cause other things have been going on and I just went and I sought help and I sought help to and shared and short version as I ended up through the Naval hospital, getting treatment um, for all kinds of things because of my clearance and what I did, we pulled me out of that type of environment. And um, in the long run, I chose to separate. So there's a bunch of questions. Obviously you can ask, uh, you can answer these as, as you see fit. Was the person attacking you? Was it something they did and you defended yourself or was it something that you just like misinterpreted something or thought somebody was, didn't realize somebody was there and turned around and hit them? Like, what? Yes. So the latter. So, so violence had happened to me on the vessels before, right? Yeah. But it just, somebody came up on me and, and literally in through um, a fly trap, you know, a fly trap is there's two doors. There's um, the inner door of a passageway. Then you go through this partition type thing. It captures light. And then there's the outer door to the ship. So I'm in a fly trap, which is completely dark. And, um, it just came out of that and was coming into the inside of the ship where you hit go from dark to light and I can't see. And someone just, you know, hey, Furrow, and grabbed a hold of my shoulder and uh, I responded. 
I, and I don't, other issues had been going on, and at that time, you know, and that I'm aware of, no one else is aware of. Right, right. Um, I don't want to breeze past this because you said it, and I was like, oh, we just skipped over a big thing. You were married and had kids. Yes. Was he in the Navy as well? Yes. So he, we met on my first vessel, and then when you're married. They, you could never be on the same vessel, obviously, again, but you're never ones at sea and ones on shore duty. So you're like two ships passing in the night. You're never with each other. And we have two beautiful sons. We've co I'm not married to him. And we're great friends. We have two awesome sons. I have a 34-year-old son that's active duty mm. on the East Coast and Navy. And then I have a younger son that's here that's 29 years old and has a great degree and great job. So my daughter-in-law on the East Coast, I have a daughter-in-law and two grandchildren. Oh, my Lord. So at that point, uh, just talk briefly about what that meant to be married and to have kids at that stage in your life in the Navy. I mean, this was, you were suddenly it wasn't just that you had a career that was providing some degree of stability, but now suddenly you are building an infrastructure of stability. There's there's a marriage, there's child rearing, and all that. What did that mean for you? Was that uh, it was, was it was it jarring? Was it was it like jaw dropping? Like whoa, like grimy? I just went from you know moving out of the house at sixteen and all this to suddenly like now I'm the one in charge and this is my house. Like I mean, wh- what was that like? Was it a huge gear shift for you, or did you take naturally to it? Um, I want to say that I took naturally to it. I wanted the family and the babies and the happily ever after. I wanted to provide an environment and a loving, nurturing space. Yes, that's that's just what I've wanted literally my entire life is that space. Yes. And did the and you talk about the ships passing in the night. How hard or how easy was it to do this? with everything you were doing in the Navy. It wasn't very easy at all. It wasn't easy at all. Do you think that contributed in any way to how your career in the Navy ended? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. And then it contributed to how my career in the Navy ended and it contributed to my marriage, you know, and I don't fault anything, any, any choices I made or choices I made. Sure. Sure. But when I ended the service in March of 99, um, my husband had is 10 years my senior and he had been in the service. He ended he retired December 31st, 1999. So he came. Yes. So one economically, our economics completely changed in that time frame. And then the other is you know, two people that didn't know each other because you're like this constantly. I mean, the amount of days we literally would see each other in a given year weren't, weren't very many. So it was an interesting, interesting space. And then, yeah. Um, where were you when you got out of the military here in San Diego? Where you San, Diego. San Diego. Okay. Um, did you know you were going to build a life then in San Diego? Was Were you wedded to staying in San Diego or did you? No, no. My entire career, I didn't want to come to San Diego. Mm. I won orders to La Maddalena, Italy, and I have still not been to Italy. 
Damn it. I worked my ass off. I'm going to say that. I worked my ass off to get to get orders out of A school, A school, C school. That's hilarious. Something like that to um, get to La Maudelina, Italy. And I was a dude or a woman, so I couldn't. So like two weeks after I won the orders, they said, guess what, Furrow? Had some good news and some bad news. The good news is you're going to San Diego. The bad news is you're not going to Italy. Oh, I was pissed. Oh, my Lord. Where did you go? Where did you get to? San Diego. That brought me to San Diego, which I did not. The place that I did not want to come to was San Diego. Did you you ever... um get in the fleet did you ever get to go places and go to different ports and do that whole navy thing traveling the world seeing the world was there any of that even yes. if you missed italy okay where'd so, you end up going so six vessels open to women at the time vessels didn't open till 1994 right so pearl okay. uh desert wow. shield desert storm mm-hmm. i'm in desert shield desert storm 91 are you did you, you deployed to the gulf Yes. And so two, two, sorry, I am literally voice challenged. My voice is sure tripping, but USS McKee is a submarine tender and, um, um, AD Cape Cod, US Cape Cod is also a tender. So I served on both of them. I did three tours on the McKee because there weren't enough vessels open to women. So when I go to roll to sea duty, I ended up on the McKee and then um, I did a tour on the submarine or the destroyer tender. I'd swap to her, but yeah. We we can't just end your military career without talking about the Persian Gulf or then Um, when all that kicked off, what was your reaction? Were you like, Oh shit, things just got real. Like now I'm actually got to go to war or were you excited? Were you nervous? Were you like, what was your mindset? Excited. Okay. Um, I was, I mean, about war, I was excited to go to sea. Mm-hmm. And I was excited. Yeah. I was finally like, okay, I get to be unparked from this pier and I get to do what I'm supposed to do. Mm-hmm. And I hit, you know, hit Guam. And so all the rule when you're loading weapons, there's rules on how many weapons can be on the pier, how many weapons can be topside. You have explosive arc ranges in case of an, a disaster. You mm-hmm. can only take out so many civilians, and I hate to say it that way, but right. But in a wartime, you can just have all of the armament up and about, and you can just move 24-7. Uh, so as far as like all the training and all the teams that I put together, and I, I did my job well, you could just... Ah, it's amazing. It's amazing to put your everything you trained for and then turn around and just do it. When you got to the Gulf, uh, were you at that? You said you were putting a team together. Were you a chief at that point? Were you an E6? No. Were you? No, I was an E5. So I said, yeah, my um, I was a that's part of what made me a chief is what I did. Okay. that. In the Gulf. Okay. So yeah. what, what was it? What were, what were your assignments when you were? So, you know, you just, all I did was manage and run, run um, weapons teams. And that just is uploading and loading weapons quickly to um, combat vessels. So to a combat soldier, it, it's nothing, you know, um, the tenders are giant supply ships. 
So I just got to do underway replenishments with vessels and weapons at sea. I got to, I don't know how to explain it to you guys, but it's just completely different than doing it in port San Diego. Okay. All right. Women uh, couldn't, you- women couldn't, women couldn't go into a combat zone technically at the time. Sure. Right. So uh-huh. it wasn't until after 91 and it was in the, the Desert Shield, Desert Storm that things happened that took women into combat zones where they performed. And then things happened that politics allowed women to then start one going into combat two going on to um, war vessels and then flight. Yeah. Um, what was the experience? of war for you when you were there did you i mean okay you weren't technically in the combat zone did the iraqis fire anything back in your direction at any point were you guys close enough for that or what was going on we were 14 miles off the coast of oman okay so in the so not you know the 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 most unique experience i had was a um a russian fighter plane so we're um at anchor or or floating around out there, I don't even remember, on gun watches. And the gun watch is very funny because it's 20 millimeter and 50 cal um, machine guns, anti-aircraft, World War One and two anti-aircraft that I'm standing watch on, which is funny hmm. to me because it's not like it's going to save you from anything out there, right. Right? right? So it's hilarious. And you're on watch and literally a, a um this plane comes in right above the chatter that the the ocean line, like just above the water line, comes flying in literally under the radar, under the everything, hits its afterburner. I mean, you could see the guy inside pit, and then off he goes. And I've I think it was one of the most um humbling experiences. It was where I really understand how close combat could be to us but how vulnerable my brothers and at the time are on the ground you know i have never forgotten the visual of that person in the in that in that plane and i just i can't imagine what my what i consider my brothers in arms um marines at the time, Marines and Army, and what they went through, and then since then, with we've been over there for so long, it became a joint task force. I've discovered where Navy and, and Air Force come in and are on the ground as well. It's just it's mind-boggling to me, and it's always kept me in a humble space of gratitude for mm-hmm. my um, veterans that have actually been hand to hand and in combat because I was never there. And I make it a point, actually, to serve and work with veterans because of that as a way, and particularly combat veterans, as often as I can. That probably didn't answer your question. No, that totally answered it. I mean, that answered it and answered things I hadn't even asked yet. Um, Have you ever done any renderings or artwork of the pilot? No, but I think I should. I think I should write that down. Yeah, that's very cool. And what was your artistic output during these years? Was there really, 
Yeah. You wrote. I, I, I love to write. What were you writing? Poetry, art and journaling, thoughts, that type. Um, on a ship, it's like being in a giant building. So you're on the East Coast of New York. Can you imagine? No, never seeing the sunlight. So the steel giant building and never. So I would be ordered. Um, my boss ordered me up to um, witness the sunrise or the sunset um, daily because I was going a little batshit at the time. And I would take my my um, journals up and I would write. That was my release. What did you do with that writing? I still have it. Did you ever show it to anybody? No, no. Would you? I don't know. I don't know. Have you ever looked at it again? Yes. It's in a box. I really, I looked at it last July 4th, Independence Day. Why? Um, 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 in the last three and a half years, I've done a lot of change in my own life. Mm-hmm. And I needed to go through some things. Um, to get rid of the last bits of things. And in that process, I went through a lot of boxes. That's fair. That happens. Okay. And then I have all my military, what I kept when I left the service, I got rid of most of my military. Um, I got, I, I shed a lot of the military, but that, that I didn't shed has been, I kept in a like boxes and I went through, and honored myself. Talk about that when you got out. Um, how hard was it to divorce from the military, being that it was a a voluntary separation, but a kind of a forced separation? Like, it, you, you, there's no way you could stay on. It sounds like. Mm-hmm. So, what what was that process of transition like for you? To it sucked. What specifically about it? Why? Why did it? Um, well, you go from being on top of the world, and I was, and stellar at everything, and a hero, if you will, in the eyes of some, to um, to not. It it really, my I I separated on or I discharged honorably, and and met and retired and have all the benefits and all the things. Did, were you medically retired or medically yeah. separated or what, what was the, what was the, I went temporary purpose? disability retired, Okay. temporary disability retired. That's a five-year process. At the end of that process, they, um, I went f- fully retired gotcha. and that's medical. And that doesn't mean you're a hundred percent disability or anything. That just is, they give you that bit. It's the same benefit of being retired. Gotcha. Gotcha. I am, I am at a hundred percent disability. That finally came through. Okay. Two years that ago. was okay. All right. Just, yeah. Um, what was your outlook now that you were separated? What did you think you were going to do? What was the next? Did you have a target in mind? Where, where yeah. I mean, aside from all like, like in one part of my brain, I was um, a mess. The other part of me is okay. We got to get her done. And I'm a survivalist and I make lemonade out of lemons. So mm-hmm. let's go get a job. Mm-hmm. And the uh, what's mind boggling is I could not get a job. So I ran an optar, which means a budget of like millions. Mm-hmm. And with 
the auxiliary equipment and the crews that I ran and all the things that I've done. So administratively, I had a background um, leadership wise, all the type of things. And I was overqualified for my education level. And I could not get a job at the time. And um, I ended up dummying down my, which was very also really, really, really um, shut me down mentally. I mean, talk about taking someone's ego that had been all that in a bag of chips. And all of a sudden you can't get a job cleaning a toilet. I, I applied at Walmart. I applied at Home Depot. I'll never forget that and could not get a job there. Um, eventually, eventually I dummy downed my resume and got a, uh, an admin role, a temporary admin role with a pharmaceutical company. And, um, the person that interviewed me, um, had served in the military. And the one thing that I had left on my resume, probably ego, um, was my, um, Navy, I put in there that I was in the Navy and an E7, I put E7 on there. And he knew what that was and asked me about it and hired me. And from there, I blossomed in a career that was just phenomenal in the pharmaceutical, really. Um, Yeah. And then that company was phenomenal. Sorry, just what was phenomenal about it? I went from being an administrative assistant to to um, I worked in the research and development area and um, the medical clinic where they wrote clinical um, trial study reports. And I took their system of clinical report writing from years and drilled it down to about 90 days. I specialized in process improvement and total quality management and leadership. I was on the implementation team for it within the service. And it's just my thing that I can streamline and bring things to a tight space. And that guy just turned me loose. And in turning me loose, the area succeeded. And in his that success, they promoted me and I did well. I had, um, I worked and developed a team of contractors that were throughout the United States. I had some in New York and in Boston. When the Twin Towers happened, I was on the phones with them. And that, that was a unique experience. And then I had teams that worked in Europe as well. So I was on the phone, like I lived on the phone, but I had a little high school education and had the job of some, the job scope of people that are highly educated. And um, Pfizer had bought out this, this um, small pharma and they downsized. And when they downsized, I lost my job. And I still don't have the education to support what it is I had been doing. So in a world that you need an education, it was very, I just didn't do well. Before we leave the job that got downsized, um, had you already identified that you liked making order out of chaos? Was that a trait? you ever identified yes. as a strength for Yes, and the service, they called me, um, uh, aside from data, I had a lot of nicknames, but a Band-Aid. So if something was broken, that's why, if something was broken, they would send me in to fix it. 
like I, um, I had, I, my, one of the tours I did on my ship, I had a former boss call me. I was stationed at, um, shore duty at weapons training group. And he calls me and he's like, will you come over here and help me? I'm like, what's going on? And he shared and I'm like, sure. And he's, I'm like, when am I coming? And he's like, now you got three days. And they did an immediate transfer and just picked me up and sat me down and put a bunch of, put me in a dark room basically with a bunch of papers to go over um, and find holes. I just find holes. That's um, we're jumping ahead. Yes. But do you feel like you've never stopped trying to make order out of chaos? Correct. Okay. It's funny because your art is not, it's not improper and neat, but there's clearly a philosophy, a methodology, and a holistic approach to problem solving that you talked about right up front, right? They said it's coming from this trauma and all that. And in many ways, it's just it's the natural evolution of your making order out of chaos. Okay. Dimming. So there's, I have a, my personal mantra, I, I brought in from my time in teaching process improvement. And that is, a, I believe in a constant state of improvement. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. That I will stagnate. If, if I'm not in, literally just trying to better myself as a human being some people don't some people want don't receive that statement well i believe in a constant state of improvement Mm. they think that then i'm dissatisfied and that's not the case i'm a very satisfied individual i just you can always learn you can always better yourself something can always be improved upon and i'm an inquisitive naturally inquisitive so from a positive sense i'm naturally inquisitive i'm insatiably curious of just life in general of any gadget um color and so why not just continue to improve your your life yeah why just sit on the couch with a remote control for the rest of your life right it's just not who i am right 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 and in my art i look at it the same way like maybe I didn't draw that very well. Okay. Well, how can you draw it better? You know, like I don't like it. Let's slap some paint on it. Let's try it again. Yeah. I want well, I want to get back to this then when we get to that stage. It's interesting to, to see these threads. I, I don't want to jump over 9-11 though. What you were on the phone with people that were where at the trade center or just in no, no, not in the trade. Um no, they're homes. So that morning, that morning, I'm trying, I, my, um, we kept my kids home from school and I, I went in to work, um, because, um, because, um, of the, of the towers and thinking that I needed to participate somehow. I mean, our hub is out of New York. And um, I got on the phone trying to reach the ladies out there. There were two women, and it took forever to get a hold of them. And then 
once we were able to get on the phone, the conversations were sparse. And in that conversation, it was just plagued with, oh, my gods. You know, when you're both watching independently, here I am in San Diego watching a television and on a phone with somebody that I'm grateful that is alive. Mm-hmm. But it just, I don't know how to, I will never be able to put into words hearing their voice on the other end of the phone and what they're going through at the time. I, I can't begin to share that. And then, then in the, the, um, no one came to work here. Hardly. There was only a handful of us that even showed up to work here. So many people were connected to the East coast travel shut down for, for us, you know, we're, we're a global company. Uh, that's just a morning. I'll never, I'll never forget. And I, I, I can't put it into words what that morning meant. Was there any part of you that was moved, reflective, uh, triggered by the fact that you'd just been in the military two years before? Well, your whole being, the whole, sorry. (laughs) You're good. You're good. Yes. Every, yes. I'll just say yes. Am I triggered? Was I triggered? Yes. Am I still triggered? Yes. Just to ask the obvious, is there a part of you that regrets not having been in the war and the war on terror in some way, shape or form? Yes. Why? I've never, I've never tried to quantify, quantify that. But what I do know is um, there's a lot of people that, that um, I've had the opportunity to work with and, and talk to and, Veterans and veterans that come from the last, shoot, 20 years now, they're a unique breed that those that have served over there and and um, lost, in a sense, I think sometimes trauma, trauma has a unique way of taking um, a person's sense of self away. The things that happen in war, not that I have a personal experience, so it's my, it's my, um, conjecture is that there's a lot of shame and a lot of guilt and a lot of um, ghosts and and um, a whole lot of lack of self-worth and value that makes up the veteran that returns from that space over that that um that it just it just helps me to help them find a way and a different solution, a different way to talk about their experience and to to find a way to value where they were at the time and the choices that were made by them at the time and to be able to go forward. Um, Do you feel like you could have been a huge help had you been in and serving alongside everybody after that? Yes. I, you know, I'm a, I'm a great leader. 
I am a leader. I was a leader. I am a leader. Um, I don't think you're taught leadership. There's leadership schools. You either are one or you're not. And um, I have always had a great ability to um, keep people engaged, entertained, um, laugh, joke, carry on, you know. And so aside from um, getting the job done, whatever the job may be, mentality, um, we would have fun in the process. Mm -hmm. And war and fun probably doesn't sound synonymous to some people, but there's in order to do hard things, sometimes you have to find a way to have fun. And I don't mean like painting pictures in the sand. I just mean in conversations and yeah. You know, we've gotten you up into, you know, getting downsized out of your job, but obviously there's been huge emotional roller coasters that you've been on at every single stage of your life up to that point that we've talked about. What were you doing? What's your coping mechanism? What were you discovering as a coping mechanism? Was it going to therapy? Was it the writing you were doing? Was art? At what point did art start emerging as a path for you? Like what, what were you doing to process, reflect, what was your methodology or what was your evolving methodology to deal with the twists and turns the life throws at you? Work has always been a way that I dealt with mm-hmm. anything, mm-hmm. keep busy and um, fill my, fill the void with work and challenge. Um, gardening. That was my, that's how I painted was with my garden. I love to garden. I love to dig in the dirt and I love flowers. So I would create some fabulous gardens. Um, I really enjoyed wine, came to develop a great, great palette for wine. It's related to gardening. Yeah. It's on a vine. (laughs) Yeah. That makes sense. Uh, I love to cook. Oh my gosh. So art is everything or it's nothing period in my life. So Art is life. How's that? That's and anything that I do, I want it to be colorful. And so if there's a recipe, I I'll take breads or a cookie. I don't care what it is. If there's a recipe, I'm gonna figure out the recipe and then I'm gonna modify the recipe and play with it and you know, KDIs it. That's just life. That's what that's how I cope. So what did you do now that you were downsized? Um, 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 downsized in the middle in there, I, I divorced, right. I divorced and then, um, I ended up remarrying in that second marriage. We, um, bought a bar and became a bar owner. It's a little small beer and wine joint that I, you know, a sailor in a bar and camaraderie, heaven. And then I cook. So at the little house that I had, we built an outdoor kitchen and that outdoor kitchen, I would cook all the food and bring it into the bar. So I fed people. I had camaraderie. I love music. Um, so got familiar with local musicians and brought in some crazy cool music and blues bands and that type of thing. 
And this is um, all in San Diego, right? All in San Diego. Okay. This was like right. living in La Mesa. Um, and, and, and here's a joke. That's not a joke. A guy walks into a bar and asks, can I do some live art? And I'm like, sure. What the hell's live art? This guy's name is Billy Martinez, and he's a like a Comic-Con artist style, a local dude. Very cool. He was walking into a restaurant down the way, and he randomly walked into the bar. And he does this live art thing, and I have no idea what that means, nor was I really painting or anything at the time. I had just picked up some craft paint and was doing, you know, some random stuff on a board nothing nothing big billy martinez he's like yeah i just want to come in and i'll paint live there'll be some music it'll be great and i'm like cool we'll sell beer awesome <laughs> and it ends up being one of the biggest events in my little tiny space and what i mean by that is my bar was a blue collar um mm -hmm. bar mm -hmm. and so all guys just about mm -hmm. and they love this dude standing in a corner painting a picture of a hot chick. I mean, and found it very entertaining. So I talked with Billy that, and I engaged with he and his wife are there. I'm like, how can we grow this? Because my bottom line is I wanted to make money for the business. And I was already, and he had really cool music. He comes from a family of musicians. So music and him is his thing. Um, he's also a drummer. Mm. And I'm like, how can we grow this? And he's like, what do you mean? I'm like, really, I want to do something different. And the short version is we created gallery events in my little teeny tiny blue collar bar. Um, um, I, I, I advertised and brought in artists. I didn't charge them. They could bring in their materials. I had some guy... Um, frame out we'd frame out my pool tables so then there's walls around the pool table so i could have additional wall space yeah right and i'd have 17 to 20 different artists um come in and i drop all the neon all the beer signage and i did the work dropped all the gear and then hung all their artwork and then have this live art event he would perform his live art while we had all these artists going on and it was great and i started painting um to support that my blue collar guys come to find out many of them are artists literally educated in art art backgrounds they couldn't um make a living so that as artists so some are photographers some are drafters they draw whatever. So they too started participating. They blow the dust off of some of their old artwork and bring it in. How many square amazing. feet was this bar? Oh, it's tiny. I had an occupancy of 46. And you had 17 to 20 artists work in there? Yes. So, God. yeah. So you'd, I don't know how to explain it, but I could show you pictures. It's great. Great, great, great. And the square footage that you can get around a pool table, if you think about uh, it. Yeah. If you take yeah. plywood, I took sheets of plywood. Yeah. One of the guys is a contractor. He hand carved these locking devices that you would set the plywood. I painted the plywood. I'm not kidding. Every It was the most ridiculously cool 
events ever. The mayor would show up at our little events in school. Oh my lord! Uh-huh. Did this? I'm assuming this is what reawakened you. It did all. that. That you know, I I told you in the long in the story around this time, my sister and I had come together. And she'd asked me about painting. So then that's when I really had started painting. Then the bar thing, I create these events. I start painting to motivate people that, yes, you too can paint. Look, I'm just a knucklehead out of the service. Mm-hmm. And look, I can paint a pretty picture. So you can paint a pretty picture. And it just, it engaged my patrons in a way. So I did it to engage them and to get them to show up. And then it engaged other artists to just show up. And so that was the only reason and that I painted. And I discovered in that process that it served my mind. It served my brain. Um, I in would, what way? What does that mean? Um, 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 you own a bar, it's 24 hours a day. Mm. And then there's the chaos of a bar. I have chaos in my home. So I found my peace and serenity in a garden. Um, I had gardens out back and I would close the bar at two or three in the morning and then paint till sunrise outside. Wow. Yeah. So it was that when art, when painting became part of your pattern of life? Yes, it really became a uh, crazy, cool pattern of my life. And it also became an escape. I was mis- miserable with a husband. And I couldn't really share and talk a lot about things. I didn't have a lot of privacy with things. So, um, yeah, so I painted. Was it a daily process? Were you doing art every day? Yes. But I didn't coin the phrase art every day in 20. So that was 2008, 2009, 10, 2009. I want to say it doesn't matter. Um, I owned the bar for five years. The end and lost the lease in 2014. And, and um, thought, it, thought my life was over, but ended up being the best thing ever. Um, Why is that? Because in the long run, it, it, it was just a catalyst of me getting away from a, a really dark situation with a husband okay. and a dark, what well, the dark space was with myself. It finally put me in a space to really just start getting miserable enough to make a difference in my life. But when I lot, when we lost the bar, I needed an escape and I needed a way to make money. So I taught, I, I um, kept painting and I turned my, somebody suggested I turned it into a business. And I'd never thought of it as a business before. So I still didn't consider myself an an artist of any magnitude. I just thought I could paint some pretty pictures. And um, I'm good at in front of other people. So I turned it into a wine and paint type environment. And I brought it into VFWs. And that's what I was doing. And I was doing that quite successfully. In parallel to that, I was... um, I started putting on events in the city of La Mesa, put on car shows and put on events. You're like, what else did you do? I put on. um, Well, I mean, I'm also wondering about the commonality. Where where did the art show come? Where where did the car show come from? Was that 
The car show when I lost when I lost my business, I lost it to a a person, an entity. That person um, offered me a job back to making lemons, lemonade, that type of thing. And that job allowed me to put on events. Okay. And um, I used my experience from the running the bar and managing the bar and my ability to network and, and communicate with others to create events in the city of La Mesa and did that for a while. Did you like it? I did. I love to put on a party. That's just a giant party. Okay. And I don't mean, I mean that in a fun way, but literally I love to engage people. I love to bring a room full of people together and get them to connect. It's, it's, it's a unique ability, I think. And I think I do it well. Why did you stop? COVID. So, well, one, I stopped that business because that person, there was a monetary issue where I wasn't getting paid. (laughs) That's a monetary issue. So it's a monetary issue. And so I walked away from, from that space and then COVID happened. And when COVID happened, um, um, so my painting, my, my painting classes were doing very well. So I'm engaged in public and I'm trying to keep that going forward and the momentum and COVID occurred. And with COVID, um, I shut down in 2015. I had surgery on my spine they cut me open to work on c3 through seven so i'm fused in one direction and i have cadaver parts in there when i came out of that surgery i didn't have a voice so you hear me the voice you hear is not my natural voice anymore and i can't scream i can't yell literally um even as we talk, my voice is going in and in and out. But when I came out of that surgery, uh, I only had a whisper. Literally, I could only whisper. And as my speech came, then it was also I had broken speech patterns. Um, um, but I still had my mind. And that's important. When COVID happened um even though i had this lovely little voice i had shifted into a um i could communicate in public and i just draw people to me and i worked at um, a michael's a craft store and i became a framing manager an art framing manager sure there right so i tied my art and my ability and here one-on-one i can talk and communicate with you covid happens and now i have to put a mask on and I can't communicate um, with how my neck is. It literally impacts my peripheral vision. Then you add the mask on top of that, how the mask line, it impedes your peripheral as well. If I put a shield on the shield and I wear glasses, the shields, um, you don't have a lens to see. So I can't do my job. I can't, they want, I can't, my neck, I'm limited in my range of motion, blah, blah, blah. 
Um, but it really tripped me off the edge. So all the things when I'd left the service and all my PTSD, because I've been diagnosed with, and I'll say it out loud with um, um, chronic depression, delayed onset and post-traumatic stress disorder, da, 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 da. And I can just go on. Um, so where I've managed myself in life, like just because that's what we do we, or I manage, um, I lost kind of my ability to manage that in so many ways. And my with COVID, I literally got lost. And my I worked a couple of blocks away from my home. I would get lost coming at the end. I was getting lost just like I did when I was in the service. I was getting lost. Um, um, numbers just was not a good space. Um, I won't go into everything. I'll just say that I was, I hit a space that I was either going to not be on the planet any longer, or I was going to make a change in my life. And I literally understood for the first time in my life that somehow I had to make that change. And I did. I, um, I picked up a, a phone um, 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 and sought help. I mean, my art had been become my livelihood, had become my therapy, had become my way to manage my emotions. And I really, I can, couldn't do it anymore, really. Um, I was miserable and in a very um, ugly space at, in my um, household. I'd literally come full circle. So from what I left when I was a young person, I was now living in that kind of environment. And um, I had two grandchildren, I had a grandson that was born, a granddaughter on the way. And I caught myself recognizing that in my mind, I was not a good woman. I wasn't a good example. I wasn't a good person. I wasn't a good human. I wasn't the right mold. I wasn't being what I would want to raise a daughter or I was thinking of my granddaughter and I was thinking of what am I the example that I want her to be and I found myself lacking and I picked up the phone and I called the VA on one hand and I also called my own doc and I knew the receptionist and with COVID you can't get into a doctor so I sat in parking lots, a parking lot and talked to them and begged to be seen by, by my own doc. They saw me. And then I was on the 1-800 hotline number with the VA. And the short version is that was June 6, 2020. Um, I negotiated with the VA to see my granddaughter born. My granddaughter was... and. I went to the East Coast, saw my granddaughter born, and came back out here and put myself into treatment on July 24th, 2020. That got me out of the environment that I was in. 
And it gave me the ability to really isolate myself with myself and take ownership. And I made a definitive choice to um, completely change my mindset. Literally, I spent 45 days in a treatment center. Um, I knew that if I went back home, one, I, I was choosing to be miserable. Mm. And I refused to make that choice. So I was going to be homeless out of my, I have an old truck. And it had been my decision to live in my truck. Someone at the treatment center um, caught wind of that and got a hold of somebody that helped sponsor me um, in a sober living. And I spent five and a half months living in a sober living while I did all that stuff. So it was 45 days, five and a half months in a sober living. I volunteered and begged for any type of therapy through the VA. They put me through their um, um, in vivo PTSD treatment. If you're not familiar with it, oh boy, howdy, Google it. So I did their therapy and have been in therapy ever since and just chosen to change my life. And art every day is when I couldn't talk, when I couldn't speak, when I couldn't articulate, when I couldn't use my, you know, your voice absolutely matters. I could write. And even when my I had gone so dark that my ability to write legibly, my my vocabulary went my um my ability to complete thoughts went my ability to do common math went i mean i was dark but my crayons is what i like to call them and my art journals are how i would be able to um release if you will and since then i've i have not stopped in three and a half years most of what's in here, most of what's in here is um, over the last three and a half years. And Do you think you would have pivoted as hard to art if you were, if your sentence formation and all the other stuff that was going into the writing was still where you wanted it to be? Ask me that again. Would you have pivoted to art as hard as you did and as committed as you did? And by I should say by individual art, as hard as you did, if um, if you were satisfied with your writing, if your if the sentences were still coming easily, the complete thoughts were happening, and all that. I don't. I don't know. The, what I value most from my art and the art process is the tech, the texture. So when I when I am really communicating the best with myself. It's not about the words as it is the feel. Mm -hmm. And so I don't know. I don't know. My, um, I'm not fully back to where, I don't know that I'll ever come fully back. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll surpass, but I'm still lacking a lot of the, my vocabulary. I still get, I'll start, I'm doing it now, um, especially under pressure where my brain will just stop. 
Um, I don't know that my vocabulary and my ability to um, articulate myself will ever come back to the way it was. Um, I don't know. But this I do know that in that whole process, I do absolutely know that I am my own canvas. And I do know that we as humans, we talk to ourselves that way. You know, we talk to the canvas the way we talk to ourselves and that most people choose to be ugly, nasty, vile, destructive to themselves. Most people choose to find fault with themselves and subsequently they find fault with others and they justify finding fault with others because they don't know how to find positivity within them own, their own selves. So when I'm able to do best with my best work is when I when I understand that and I just allow myself to communicate. And then when I'm in a negative space, if I am, it's it's natural to be negative. I learn from negativity. I ask why. The other thing that I learned about process improvement is you ask why and you continue to ask why. And the thing is, is not to bullshit yourself in the answer, but to get rigorously honest, like why the hell do you hurt and really dig in as to what's going on with you. And if you can do that, you can you know, find a way and avenue to learn, to change, to grow, to, to better yourself. If you can't answer yourself honestly, then you're going to dig a deeper hole in darkness. It just is, you know? I'm throwing this out here because obviously I haven't read any of your writing, but do you ever get the sense that you are saying things visually that you never would have been able to say in writing? Yes. Yes. And I have written uh, like uh, how I haven't. There's a, uh, I have goals and one of the goals is to write and to publish. I have written. I have something written. I've not published. And then I have something that I'm writing. Why haven't you published the thing that you've already written? Um, this will sound probably pretty shitty. <laughs> <laughs> why would somebody read my, or why would somebody read what I have to say? I, I literally had someone say to me this week, Katie, you need to make it. You need to be, to be more of um, a monetary s- s- um, of s- substance monetarily or people won't listen to you. Which is true. Like people look at what you've accomplished in or as a gauge to say you're successful. You know, so I I question whether or not I should publish based on that. And I I I argue with myself. Well, I mean, as you said earlier, I mean there's varying definitions of success. I'm not sure monetary is the only success, and certainly not the yes. only thing that would predicate you should be listened to or your right. No, I'm not, but should and should and happen is, is two different sure. things. Sure. That's so I'm not saying that I agree, <laughs> right? Not saying right. that I agree at all. Cause I don't agree. But as far as like, where, where's my value added on my time? What should I be trying to accomplish? Yes. That's fair. That's fair. What yes. is it? What, what did you write? What is the piece that you wrote? Or just, is it a novel? Is it poetry? What's it's a that? short art everyday mindset, like how to achieve an art everyday mindset. 
Ah, okay. Process. Got so you. Is is one. So yep. that's that is one. And then the other is I've written a short synopsis of me. And I work with someone that is a writer. And she's like, we should write a book. You, she's like, you should write a book and you should let me blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Okay. It seems like, and I'm basing this on your brand new website, well, it's not brand new anymore, but it's relatively new. Um, but there's no two ways about it that you clearly seem to have embraced taking your work commercial and, mm-hmm. and it's, and yet you haven't shied away from the therapeutic origins of the art and the mindset behind it. But when you made that mental pivot to go, Hey, look, this does have to make money. What did that do or not do for the actual product on the canvas? What did you notice about your artistic process or about the out the end result? Did you notice anything change? Did you notice that you were, what changed? It's commercial. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? It's a bad thing and, and a good thing. So, so for the broader, um, to reach a broader audience, it's what I call the kinder, gentler Katie. I need to reel you in. I need to, I need to get you closer. Come my pretty. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Let's have a conversation and I'm going to get you through flowers, you know, what? or hummingbirds or whatever. I, I, yes. It's but I need to, I need to make money, right? So I need yeah. to sell it. Yeah. So it needs to 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 be able to be in public with whether it's with children or young people or not. But I I need the conversation. So I chose to go softer so that I could um, sell the work. But not art every day isn't just for people with trauma. Art every day is for the common person. It's for Sally or Joe. I don't care what, ba- or or the professor behind a desk. I don't care your level of education. Every person can benefit with acknowledging that they can choose to change their mindset at any given time, period, end of story. And I use art supplies as a means to engage people in a lighter Um, form of conversation it's just art supplies are easy if I just tell you you can change your mindset you can say screw you Kate you know or yeah you know or my experience especially the more educated you are and the more experience you have the the more lessons in life we are very rigid in our thought process even though we think we're open we're very rigid and our ability to change those thought processes you have to acknowledge independently that you're rigid or that you're you're stuck in a space, you know. Even so, I'll take. Um, I have a, a practice that I aspire to, and that is to go through my day without complaining, without criticizing or condemning. Right. Period. Wow. That is that is my choice that I choose to. It's what I do. I succeed 
I, I can't get through five minutes sometimes, you know, but it is my conscious decision to choose to go through life, not complaining, not condemning, not criticizing, because when I am, I'm in judgment of you. Right. And if I'm in judgment of you, what I'm really is in judgment of myself. So when I do complain, when I do criticize, when I do condemn, I look, turn that mirror to myself. Like, what am I really Yep. How am I really condemning me, not you? And I don't care if that's about my ex-husband. I don't care if it's about the politics. I don't get it applies to me is how I choose. Right. And my sphere, my world is here. And my ability to influence you is by me bettering my life. And as I better my life and my ability to love, and I don't mean just soft and gentle, mm-hmm. but in compassion and kindness, not comp- all those things. Mm-hmm. Right. That is going to influence the next person, it's going to influence the next person, and eventually it's going to trickle down and it's going to influence you on the East Coast. And obviously it has, or we wouldn't be having this conversation. <laughs> it's interesting, though, as we as I ask you about the art, it, it you come back to the mindset that is clearly not just the driving purpose, but I'm almost, I'm wondering to what extent to what extent do you, I can't think of the best way to put this. Um, how much do you care about the actual rubber meeting the road, the paintbrush meeting the canvas, the technique and all that of the art of executing the art? Is it, are you still, when you start a new piece, are you still obsessed with your mindset and you're letting everything germinate from there? Or are you conscious of the craft that you're putting into the work that you do? I'm aware of the quality. I'm aware of my craft. I'm aware of bettering. um, I'm a back to constant state of improvement, Mm -hmm. you know, um, brushes matter. Mm -hmm. Brushes matter. Um, The, um, the quality of my art supplies matter. The pigment matters. You know, it, it puts a better product. Sure. Um, it gives the longevity of the piece, archival. Um, so those things matter as far as the art goes. And in learning and in that process of learning, I've discovered those things. I've found value. It's not just because somebody's told me, right. but I literally have f- discovered the value of it. So I am aware when I'm putting things together, yes. Okay. But, but, you may not like this chick, right? My lovely little art fairy, but it's on a, it's on a mixed media cheap piece of paper. I am willing to create art on anything. And, and I find this piece just as valuable and I would do the same thing to like that's a an oil piece up here that's a mixed media oil it's just as valuable if not more so because this means that that you are just as pretty and nice and loving and all the things and of worth as something that's made with the most archival products right how are you deciding which media which brushes, which whether you're doing acrylics or oils, how are you deciding all the media aspects, the technical aspects? 
is it just whatever comes to your gut that day or is how much of this is devised to go, Hey, I need to be working more in oil or I need to be working more on campus or on mixed media. How much of that is conscious and how much of that is a gut? All of it's conscious thought. This piece came about when I, when I work on paper like this is when I am not feeling good about myself. When I feel like I'm not an artist and then I end up producing my best work. It's kind of funny when, um, when I'm afraid, when I'm afraid of failure or those type of things, I go back, I go backwards to generic pieces of paper that don't cost as much money, believe it or not. And then, um, then I don't feel afraid. I don't feel like the I'm wasting the energy. So I still struggle myself in that type of thing. When I think I'm going to be produce art, then I put it on something that the general public says art should be on. Because there's rules, like to be in a gallery, to there's rules. So if I think I'm going to produce something like that, and it's my purpose to produce something, then I purposefully put it on a substrate that that the the world says it's supposed to be on. What about your influences? Do you have artistic influences or is the artistic influence really self-generated? Is it your most of it's self-generated? I, you know, I've the only art classes I've had is in this last three and a half years. And I couldn't read, write and all the things or walk in public, be in a public space. I have a, uh, um, uh, my service dog and I, but um, I started going to school. So, so I did, I refused to accept that I was going to stay broken. So I found the VA. Um, I'm in a, a a rehabilitation program with the VA, so they're paying for my schooling. I'm now with Arizona State University mm-hmm. and their bachelor's program for um, counseling um, and applied psychological sciences. Um, I have long-term goals, blah, blah, blah. But um, I took some art classes. I started with Mesa, San Diego Mesa, JC, a junior college. And the only art I've ever had exposure, if you will, has been through minimally through Mesa College and I'd never really been in a gallery before in my life literally I've been in and the first that I remember as a child I think I was brought in by a couple times but I really don't have memory of it and um, my first exposure to some galleries was through COVID COVID has um features where you can go to into almost any gallery in the world now it's amazing it's amazing what you can see but literally walking into a gallery and participating and looking at art on the wall happened in the last three and a half years 
what has that done for you? What has the exposure to that done for your art? Do you see it show up on your canvases and in your work? Do you go, hey, I'm getting more sophisticated with this, or I'm starting to understand the nuances of this? Like, what does that do? What does it open your eyes to? It 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 gives it um the brief um the format and structure i see the form so i see the process in art now i can look at something and i can see i can see a formula past like i can see through the art and into the formula sometimes mm-hmm. the process uh, okay and that helps me um it um sometimes it, sometimes it is not good for my ego uh, sometimes it's takes away but other times it 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 affirms that i should keep going forward that my work doesn't suck how's that because well that's always work, affirming i look i look at some of it i'm like wow how did that make it here yeah well let's talk about that now i mean I, i've been following you for a, a little while um i can't remember exactly but i want to say maybe a year now and i've um you know it's clear that you're taking like leaps and bounds in the in as you start to become you know focus on the commercial aspect and on selling your work and the presentation the innovation in how you're presenting things and all that but for you generating the work where do you think you're weak as an artist, when you look at your work, where do you think you're like, ah, I wish I, I need to work on this or I want to get better at this. Do you see anything like that? The first thing that I'm weak at is discipline, which I have a lot of discipline, Mm. but I am not just, I should, my conflict in my art is my, um, there's not enough of me to go around. So I'm in school full time and I'm in art and then I work in recovery and I work with people and I do all this stuff. So I look, my art is my canvas, which means it's me. And I don't give it my focus first. That is my number one um, down, downfall. That's important. That's it important. Is. Yeah. And I still, I'm doing the psychology in the classes because I still am carrying around the cross that I need a f- education, which I do. You know, and um, do you? I, yeah. <laughs> uh. <laughs> I mean, uh. seriously, do you really? I, I, I'm not so sure. I mean, I mean, not my life, but you know, just as the objective third person here, I'll just, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. To um, that I let we could be here for four more hours. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's true. That's yeah. true. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah. But um, 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 um. From from to consistency. Um. 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 um, If you're going to be a quarterback, how many times does a quarterback throw the ball through the hoop? Probably a lot. You're going to be a basketball player. Like how many free throws? How many times do I stand at the line and shoot the ball through the hoop? I'm going to swing the bat. You know how many times I swing the bat? How many pitches do I did? Yada yada. So like with my, I bounce all over. And sometimes I wonder, should I just sketch all day long, every day? Should I just do the same thing over and over and over and master one thing? I, and I don't know how to answer that question. If I talk with, 
you know, professors, some professors say yes. Some pro- It's just, I don't know. I don't know how to answer that question. Do you feel you found your voice as an artist? Yes. What is it? Um, my ability to put my thoughts into the writing, where the writing and the words come together with a picture. Mm. That's that's me. I don't care what it is that I paint. I don't care. I don't care um, what it is that I'm producing. There will be words. Is that the genesis of each piece of art? Does it come from words? Does it come from something you can articulate? Or does it come from a feeling? It's the ability to convey your thoughts. It's the ability to choose to convey your thoughts, to choose to validate, to own your feelings, to bring them forward, not to ignore them, not to squish them, to bring them up, to get them out of you. We've talked about this nonstop, but I'm going to ask just the obvious question. Where are you getting your daily inspiration? Is it just based off, or are you, does it start with, hey, I just picked up the brush and I stabbed a bit of paint on the canvas, and now from here, you know, I'm going to have thoughts, ideas, and all that? Or does it start with a very conscious, hey, I really want to do a, a piece on this subject or this theme? Where, where does it come from, generally, for you? My, my, me, my, so my, it sounds selfish, doesn't it? Um, I don't mean it. I don't mean it in a selfish way. Not selfish. But it's your stuff. Yeah. But, you know, how can I convey and, and talk to people about their story being a value if I'm not able to convey my own story? So, so I try and use my me as a as a conduit as a, as a bridge to others but i don't know um i'm inspired by people by nature so it can be something as hummingbirds are in a lot of my work you know so nature um the by most important piece that i've ever there's two there's a piece that's not even published i'll send i'll try and send you an image if i can find it it's of me and a horse that i did in 2010 and um, i used to hide with my horses when i was young and there's a piece that i did of the bison of courage that piece i painted that piece through the spring of 2020 Um, And it was in that space that I was deciding how I was going to um, change my life that I knew I needed to. I literally had had a random stranger show up at a counter at a Michael's and we engaged in a conversation over a bison. And it was a joke over a bison and an elephant. I won't go into the joke, but he he um, shared that the bison had evolved, the female bison had evolved, that if it was in the process of giving birth, that it would stop the process of giving birth in the midst of a storm, if need be, until the storm had passed in order to give birth um, so that that 
calf had the strongest chance of survival. That was January of 2020. And that story, that lovely story of that bison is really the seed that planted in me. And I told you, like my granddaughter um, was coming and all that. They planted in me that I really wasn't being, I hadn't evolved like that bison had evolved. Like I wasn't what I needed to be. I wasn't what I thought I was. And I really like turned the mirror on myself. Like I am drinking too much. I'm allowing someone's hands to be on me. And I painted this bison all through the spring. And it, it that came to be. And so to answer your question, what inspires me? My life. Whatever happens today, like I'm going to get off of this thing there's a young lady that'll be here this afternoon that we're going to work out some stuff, but I have a feeling there's going to be something that comes out about you and I, and, and cause you're motivating me and you don't even know it. I may have to write you an email, but I'm going to have to put something together, right? Yeah. It just, yeah. that's just how my art is, is whatever's happening in my life at the time, you know, uh, people, reason I paint flowers and seeds you ever watched you know a flower go from a seed to a full bloom and then let it die and then it reseed and then it come back that's a whole lovely cycle of life and everything in between like my ability to paint flowers isn't just painting a pretty flower it's going to engage whomever I'm talking with where are you in that process Mm. how do you seed how do you see yourself how do you seed yourself for your next generation? What are you contributing to society? How are others going to reap? Or, you know, it, and that sounds probably pretty silly, but. No, that sounds very profound. That sounds very, um, that sounds like the best kind of epiphany, which is one that truly comes to you as opposed to being forced. Do you feel, you know, you talked, I mean, that was very memorable what you said about looking at your granddaughter and then having to take stock about yourself. How are you doing now? Outstanding. I've never, I've never been in this space before in my life, literally. And it's a wonderful, it is wonderful to be in a space where I can look in the mirror and not cringe. Hmm. And I don't, and, 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 and own that I still have pain and be okay with that. You know, it's, it's, it's a wonderful, it's wonderful to, to get the opportunity. And I say, get that I have the opportunity to choose daily, whether I'm going to be at peace and serenity and have happiness and hope and all those things to even to say it without having a catch in my voice is a fabulous uh, miracle for me. I am a miracle. The to have shifted so hard um, to the positive is just for by the grace of God. And I have a, I have a strong belief in my God that, that I am worth something. And if I'm worth something, then I have hope. And if I have hope that gives me a joy and I have a profound love of self and not in an arrogant sense, but I'm a damn good human, you know, and so I'm in a great space and I think I'm very blessed with the opportunity to just bullshit 
mm. and share, you know, where I come from yeah. with a smile and let you feel me, but also give you the sense of you too can make a difference in your own life. You don't have to blame. You don't have to be a martyr. You don't have to do any of that kind of crap. You can just choose to, to, to right now, grab a hold and let's go, let's do this. And it's interesting that is since these are relatively recent developments coming out of yes. like, you know January 2020 and all that, um, I don't know, you're getting seen, you know, in so many ways. And it and the artwork shows it. Um, the way, yeah, I, I, I think you've got so much good stuff coming to you, and this clarity that you're talking about. It's not surprising. I feel like there's a lot. I feel like there's a lot of takeaways for the veteran community. You know, everybody's got their, you know, this and that in their past, but there is something about getting the level of clarity that you're finding. And what that does to expose you positively to the world. And all of a sudden, then you're seen and you're heard, you're acknowledged, and your art is taking off. That's just my impartial, you know, not living in your skin, but just talking to you and hearing this and seeing it on Instagram and all that. I'm like, yeah, of course. Of course, your work's standing out. There's there's mentally, the choices are being made to share, to show. And there's a maturity and a depth and a resonance and a joy in the art that is reflective of where you are. So that's not surprising. Um, but it's great to hear because it bears out and it all checks out. Let's do some shameless plugs. How do people need to find you? Let's get them to the website and your Instagram and all the rest of it. Hmm. How do they need to buy some cat furrow artwork? They need to go to catfurrowart.com, please. And that's cat with a K that's, that's a great shout out to my friend, Nicole, cat with a K, catfurrowart.com. You can find me under an Instagram, cat underscore furrow. Um, you're welcome to just reach out to me directly. Um, you're welcome to share my phone number. It's out there and be nice. Um, DM me. Any of my artwork, although it's on my website, I have a, um, you're welcome to just make an offer too. And depending upon where you are, Great things can happen. I can deliver. I can just, I, I negotiate all the time. Kat, this has been, uh, I knew it would be a great conversation, but this, but it, yeah, I never know what exactly that's going to look like. This is a fucking blast. I do have a wish. Please. I, I, I hope you're a man fairy, right? Cause I'm a fairy. I believe in fairies, pixie dust and all the things, right? And you can all, you know, rainbows, Fairies and pixie dust are important. And that doesn't mean that I'm blinded to bullshit because obviously I'm not blind to bullshit, right? Fairies and pixie dust are important. I need a gallery. I need somebody to um, put me forward, to take me on, to give me validity, to help me to help myself so that I can help others. I need a gallery to um, let me be, participate in their space and i need one of substance so that it has a voice so yeah uh that's what i really want so as really really want recent listeners of this show know um cavalry's coming there's options coming and there's stuff that's going to be happening and what the hell i mean we're putting the 
I think we have a ad out that's preceding this episode anyway. So um, we will talk at length about this in the dangerously near future. But um, the Cornwall Imaginarium, which will be the first commercial art gallery in the country to exclusively feature veteran artists, is months away from opening phase one, which thanks to the nuances of zoning codes and planning boards and all that, can't be a fully plussed out gallery just yet. But phase one is is a couple months away. And then there's more stuff coming down the road as quickly as we possibly can. And uh, I'm pretty sure there will be, you and I will have some serious conversations in the dangerously near future. I hope so. Thanks for what you do. I appreciate you. Listen, this is a blast to be continued. Catfurrowart.com. That was Cat Furrow's profile in Havoc. Check out the show notes for links. Uh, if you don't know Cat's work, you should. Um, yeah, just incredible woman. And um, I am fairly confident we will hear a lot more from her in not just the future, but even the dangers of the near future. Okay, my thanks to Mike Neal for putting this episode together. Oh, I guess I should probably do the shout-out to VetRep. Yeah, <laughs> since it is my nonprofit. Of course, they are the other sponsor of this week's episode, Veterans Repertory Theater, which you can learn all about at VetRep.org, V-E-T-R-E-P.org, VetRep.org. Check it out there if you don't know anything about VetRep, which, well, I don't know, maybe it's your first time listening to the show, and that's why. But if you don't know about VetRep, VetRep is a tax-exempt nonprofit 501c3 organization which selects, develops, and produces veteran playwrights and artists through live theater and immersive art performances. More than telling only war stories or focusing only on art therapy, VetRep delivers to its audiences intimate, impactful performances as whimsical, hilarious, absurdist, and jarring as the veteran community that created them. Okay. On that note, well, I should say, go to VetRep.org. Scroll down, sign up for the literary blog, which doubles as our mailing list. You get a little piece of veteran writing every day. Get a bunch of shameless plugs. Learn about everything we're doing. So go to VETREP.org, 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 and scroll down the homepage in order to do that. Okay. Now on that note, my thanks to Mike Neal for slapping this whole episode together. And... My thanks to Cat Furrow, of course, for burning a significant part of her Saturday talking with me. And on behalf of everyone at Havoc Journal, thanks for checking us out and tuning in. We'll see you next time for another Profile in Havoc. <laughs>